Hello, hello. Thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in to More or Less. The episode you're about to listen to actually is the finale and wraps up our season two. It's been an incredible season. I am really grateful to every single one of our guests who was able to join and take the time to just share in all the feelings this time around. And thank you listeners for supporting. If you don't already, the best way to stay updated is a little follow on Instagram. It's at more or less with Jess. Today we're chatting with the spectacular singer-songwriter Jensen McCray. She's an LA-based artist and recently dropped her debut album, Are You Happy Now? It's a really amazing body of work that touches on chronic illness, abuse, racism, self-discovery, adolescence, and everything that entails. Um, I personally am just in awe of Jensen's way with words and, and lyrics that I'm excited we can glimpse into more of her story, more or less. I do want to note before we dive in that towards the end of this episode, there is a brief mention of self-harm. So please, if you need to, skip ahead, take a pause, take a breather, and take care of yourself. Hello, I am Jensen McRae. I am a 24-year-old singer-songwriter from Los Angeles, and I am a Virgo. And that's a lot of important information about me. <laughs> and premise of this podcast, mental health in this moment. How are you feeling more or less? I am feeling, uh, I want to be specific. I am feeling more or less, um, I guess, empowered. I am trying to take control of a lot of different aspects of my life, like my mental and physical health. So I like feel very motivated. Like I've been making a lot of phone calls and sending a lot of emails. <laughs> and it feels good to like do something about your problems. And so that is how I'm feeling. All right. Love to see it. <laughs> and we always follow up with what is a feeling, a word, an emotion that you need more of? And what is something that you need less of? Something that I need more of is probably like calm and contentment. Just like, yeah, the feeling of like slowness, peace, tranquility, and something that I need less of. I mean, bad news. <laughs> And like, I, and anxiety, just the general feeling of existential dread. So more calm and less existential dread. Um, I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of doom scrolling happening in the past. Yeah, too much. Week. Yeah, yeah. But with, with that, in terms of calmness, I'm curious, you know, you're heading to London, am I right? Yes, that is right. So is that a feeling of excitement or are you thriving in the chaos when you're over there? I'm really looking forward to going over there. London is one of my favorite cities like ever. And the last time I was there was in December of 2019. And I'm really excited to to go back and like explore. And it's going to be a little bit chaotic just because like I'm going back and forth between like a bunch of cities in the UK and Europe. Um, but I'm looking forward to that. Like even though I am enjoying like the peace of being at home, like I know I also really thrive in like a travel and I'm a Sagittarius moon as well. If that helps anybody listening, I do thrive in a traveling environment as well. I'm very jealous. London is one of those places that before I turn 30, I got to get there. <laughs> it's incredible. The vibe is so good. I love the British sense of humor. I love the food. The fact that there's like such a so many thriving immigrant communities that have such amazing food. There's just so much. It's just such a vibe. And I know it's raining all the time. And like growing up in L.A., I probably should be 
like repulsed by that but like i don't it's just it feels great like as soon as i get there every single time i don't feel like i'm somewhere foreign i feel like i'm home would you ever live over there oh absolutely i'm i'm trying <laughs> i would love to i mean it's expensive it's even more expensive than la um and so i think hopefully in like 10 years or 15 years i have enough money to like buy a place there and then i can kind of split my time that's like the dream dream scenario but that is a ways away <laughs> yeah it's like harry styles dual absolutely. living <laughs> abs and and in many ways and in many ways harry styles and i are one in the same actually when my album dropped in march and i had like i got youtube gave me very kindly gave me a billboard in la and new york and harry styles was dropping as it was like around the same time and so we were we were sharing some billboard space um and we were in the same new york times article so we're kind of we're kind of besties a little bit i think that's absolutely a flex I feel I and that is why I brought it up. I would uh, like to talk about it as much as possible. You know how when someone asks you what's a fun fact and then you're sitting there and you're like, uh, um, that that has to be it. That one <laughs> that it definitely has replaced my the time I fainted in front of John Mayer as my most interesting fun fact. I would say that's that's the same tier. It's that's the, the same, same tier. tier. Just like, oop, that's an interesting person. She's lived a life. <laughs> So speaking of the album, how, how does it feel to have a full-length project out in the world? It feels really great to have the album out. I wrote pretty much all the songs in college. And so to have it be out, like it was, and we finished recording it right when I was graduating three years ago. So it's really, really awesome that with all of the delays and like hiccups, both globally and like in terms of like administrative issues, like it was able to be out. Um, and I'm really, really proud of it still, even though it's something that like a younger version of me made, like it still feels relevant and true to me. It's interesting though, because I, I had a session yesterday and we were talking about like all the albums that had come out this year that we love. Like I really love the new Kendrick album and the new Kalani album. I love the Harry Styles album. There's so much good music out this year. So on the one hand, I'm excited that I get to be part of like the great music of 2022. But on the other hand, I'm like, that is a lot of stiff competition. <laughs> oh my God. I I could talk about Kalani's album for- It's so good. I think the Melt video is dropping today. If it has not already dropped, I think it's dropping today. Watch that. <laughs> I'm obsessed Quick with the commercial break. Interlude. I'm obsessed with the shooter interlude and I'm obsessed with Up at Night. That like that bangs. I mean, I love all of it, but like those two songs I've been listening to, like I keep going back to those. So the the shooter interlude Shooter interlude is it's so a good. masterpiece. My like late night walk. I, I live in the city in, in New York and my late night, my little cute mental health walk that I do, that's now the song that I don't know, it just takes you to a different place. And I could listen to it over and over and over again. It stands up to repeat listens. And the album dropped when I was on, when I was opening for Amos Lee in April. And so me and my manager were on one of our like really, really long drives. And we, I was like, we have to listen to the climb. We just listened to it top to bottom. And every song, we were just getting more and more. I'm like, oh my God, every song is so Not good. a single skip. Not a Crazy. single skip. Oh my God. And I loved, um, it was good until it wasn't too, which dropped like in mid quarantine. I loved that too. I keep forgetting. Like I like loved that album, listened to it so much in 2020 and then like didn't go back to it and then this album drops and I was like wait I love Kalani why do I keep forgetting that I love Kalani <laughs> I know they're so, so blown good. away so <laughs> now that I just got totally sidetracked but we are informal um so your album I honestly the first time that I listened to it I had a feeling of this is an incredible body of work in 2022 this is the new era of music that's coming out that I just feel really grateful to be soaking up this music now especially after you know, it's been a weird 
shift in music lately and it just it's hard to find really wonderful long form pieces of work so I freaking love your album and just kudos to you on a kick-ass debut um what I what I find interesting is that you had songs that were released as part of other projects and then you put it all together on this one and it almost as the listener felt like the front to back was a letter to your younger self like that's all I kept thinking I feel like she's speaking to that younger self yeah definitely I mean the last track the closing track make you proud literally it's the oldest song on the album and I wrote it for a songwriting class my sophomore year of college as an assignment like the assignment was to write a letter to your eighth grade self and I didn't even realize as I was like assembling the track list that like that song ended up being symbolic of the whole project but the really the whole like thesis statement of the project is about growing out of who you used to be to become who you were destined to be and realizing that the world is not it not that it's hostile to everyone but that it's not as safe and welcoming and comforting as like if you're fortunate how your childhood was like i had a really wonderful childhood and like parents that tried to protect me at all costs from pain and so like this album is really about like them trying their best and me still being hit on all sides by like the darker influences of the world and make you proud being the closing track it was originally just because my producer just loved that song and like not to put him on blast but he did cry the first time he heard it and <laughs> as as did i as we all did i cry playing it um, but that was like the reason that it went on. It was just like, oh, clearly like, you know, everyone who hears this has a really strong emotional reaction. It should be on the album. But yeah, it ended up being really symbolic of like the whole project, which was just, yeah, me writing letters to my younger self and to my parents and also kind of to my future self. Like, what, what do I do now that I am coming of age? Like what comes next? And I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. Like I, I'm also 24 that I... I'm listening to that album and I wish that it was something that I had like when I was 16, 17, like it, you have a way with words <laughs> that you wish that someone had told you that at that age. And I think that is why there's such an emotional reaction because you can feel it. Mm -hmm. And I, I wrote this down in before I was going to talk to you is like your music gives me the same emotions as fast car, Tracy Chapman. That's what I kept thinking. I was like, this is the same kind of personal emotional feeling that I have every time I hear that song <laughs> thank you that's very kind I mean I get compared to Tracy Chapman quite often understandably because the deep voice of the acoustic guitar <laughs> kind of a slam dunk comparison um and I'm really honored by it because like yeah when I heard Fast Car as like a child I didn't understand remotely what it was about but I was just like emotional like it's just I, I yeah. think it's so funny like I feel like on TikTok you'll often see videos of like little kids crying when they listen to music and it's like such a pure distillation of what music can be which is even if you don't understand what's being said if it's well constructed you'll still get it and you'll still feel it and I hope that that's something that I really want to do, especially because like I would love to have an audience of a bunch of little kids, even if they have no idea what I'm talking about. I just want them like singing my music in their car seats. Like that's kind of what I'm doing it for. If I'm being totally honest, it's true. I think Adele made that point recently, mm -hmm. like about the pressure to make TikToks and her audience is not necessarily on TikTok. It's the kids' moms that <laughs> um, she's targeting to. But with that, I I think you know you said "Make You Proud" is one of the earliest song that you wrote for the project so same thing with fast car I feel like that song obviously has a different meaning when you're 10 it has a different meaning when you're 15 and it has a different meaning as you go throughout life do you think that song or any of the songs on the project 
is one of those songs that you'll be able to look back for the rest of your life and create new meanings behind. Absolutely. I think that like Make You Proud specifically is one that uh, takes on new meaning as I age for sure, just because like, even though I wrote it as a letter to my eighth grade self, the structure of the song is just like, this is what's going to happen to you a year from now. And this is going to happen to you two years from now and three years from now. And so I feel like I could be singing it to any of my past selves. And I'm sure when I'm 30, I'll be singing it to my 24 year old self. And I feel like a lot of the, even though the specifics of the events that transpired are going to be different, the effect of like, you will, by the time you get to my age, you still won't have it figured out, but you're going to be on your way. And I think that that is true at every age. And I feel like that's true of other songs on the project as well. Like happy girl, which I wrote in December of 2018 was definitely about like it. Well, I mean, the whole premise of the song is like that. I don't want to burden my loved ones with the depths of my like emotional despair. Like I don't want them to know that I'm as sad as I am or as anxious as I am because I don't want them to be upset about that. Like I don't want them to feel like they failed. And um, I feel like as I've aged and people have entered and exited my life, like I feel like it is still relevant to, other people and not just people like in my family, like whether it's in romantic relationships or in friendships, like I've definitely encountered people who are not capable of handling the, you know, the emotional turmoil that I go through and that I think a lot of people go through. Some people are not equipped to watch that happen or to kind of stand by your side through those times. Um, and so Happy Girl now, I see different people in my mind when I sing it than when I wrote it, but it's like still hits really hard. Do people in your life listen to these lyrics and then be like, oh, I, I get it. Or I couldn't support you in that moment. But now I've heard the depths of your journaling and your work, and I can kind of see where you were struggling in that moment. Has there been that kind of anecdote once you release music? I think definitely certain people understand certain things about me better after listening to my music. But I think on one hand, like I'm getting better at expressing myself verbally. Like I had a there was someone that <laughs> I was talking to in college who like basically called me out for not being able to express my feelings without singing about them. And I took that personally. I took that very personally. I was like, how dare you? But then I realized that that's very true that I thought of myself as a very vulnerable, open person, but I was really only open and vulnerable in song. And when I was talking to people about my feelings, I couldn't verbalize them very well. So it's something that I've worked on that I think I'm continuing to get better at. But also on the other hand, I feel like even though a lot of people assume that music is autobiographical, there's still this element of distance and detachment. And so people will hear a song and not assume that you mean it all the way. Like, they'll be like, oh, but it's for the song. Like, yeah, she meant it, but it's also for the song. So it's like an interesting thing of like both I'm getting better at expressing myself outside of song, but also people are taking my songs more with a grain of salt. Um, so it's kind of happening at both ends of the spectrum, if that answers your question. Yeah. It, yeah. And, it, and it's interesting that, you know, someone would say that to you because we all have different forms of self-expression and your self-expression is in your art and in your music. And that's, like you said, where you choose to be vulnerable. So in a way, it, it does make sense that that's where you choose to release all your emotions. And on the other end of what you were saying, when people say that about lyrics and songs, it's also, I'm sure it's really a crazy feeling that those are your words. And then as soon as you release them, they become somebody else's. Like even me having this conversation with you right now, telling you how I feel about your music, that must be an almost like dystopian feeling that those words that you felt are now up for interpretation to somebody else. Yeah, it's really remarkable, especially as a person who didn't have a, an audience at all at the beginning. Like most people start out with no audience for their music. And it's only in the last like year and a half that I've really had uh, any audience to speak of. And it's been 
really, really wild watching people take my music on and turn it into their uh, part of their own story. Like I've seen a couple people get tattoos of my lyrics and I'm like, that is the coolest thing ever. But it's kind of great because the uh, the reason that I write music is so that other, like I write it for myself, but the reason I release it is so that other people can take it on and so that it doesn't belong to me anymore. I think a lot of people like writers and producers I work with specifically are surprised to find out that I really want to write for other artists. Like that is an equally large dream of mine to like write for other artists in addition to writing for myself. And it's because I just want the words out there and whoever is the best vehicle for those words should be singing them. I don't care if it's me with the exception of maybe like White Boy and like a couple of other songs that I've written. I really don't care if they're mine as long as people are listening to the words and internalizing them and emoting alongside them. Um, and so I love that experience of my songs like coming out of my uh, ownership and becoming other people's. Like I, that's my favorite part of this. And what kind of encourages you to create space for heavy topics? I know you mentioned, you know, there's some distance from the art. There will always be a little bit of distance, but what has sparked in you to go as deep as you have in your work? I think that one of the things that was instrumental in me going deeper in my work was, again, my sophomore year of college, my songwriting professor, Sean Holt, he was also my performance professor. I took vocal lessons with him. I was just always, I was up in that man's grill. And <laughs> during, I was a sophomore in college um, during the 2016 election. And so when we were in that class and when we had our first class after the election, he was saying now more than ever, it's important for you guys to tap into your ability to speak for a generation, to speak for your peers and to be a guiding light in some way. And I feel like up until that point, I hadn't felt particularly like I had permission to do that or like not in a conscious level, like I wasn't stopping myself from writing about heavy topics, but I felt like I wasn't doing deep dives because I felt like what people wanted what people gravitated towards were like love songs, even though at that point I had never been in love. I didn't know what I was talking about, but I thought that, that was what people wanted. And so it was in the wake of that class when he gave us a very long speech that I won't do justice about like the role of songwriters in social movements, especially during this particular time in human history, um, that I started just trying to push myself a little more to talk about things that were a little bit harder to talk about. And also like, you know, he gave us a lot of assignments in that class that, you know, gave us structure and limitations that pushed me beyond what I like my normal routines and what I thought I was capable of and I wrote um I wrote white boy like a year later and that was the first song that I felt like this is a song that only I could have written and this is a song that feels like the reason that I have uh, the ability to write songs was to write songs like this and that feeling like that realization and like mental shift has continued to drive me and now I get most excited when I can write a song that I feel like isn't something that other people have really talked about very much are there any topics or causes that you know you haven't explored in writing but that you're eager to put words to? I mean, I think that there are things that I just have not experienced yet that I look forward to experiencing. I mean, I really hope that like one day I can write with intimate knowledge of motherhood. I really want to be a mom one day. Not for a while, but I want to be a mom one day and I want to write about that. Like I have I've written songs about hypothetically being a mother and like my fears and my excitement about that. I've never, obviously, because I don't have kids, like I don't know what that sensation is and I want to do that someday. Um, and one of the other things that I want to push myself to do in my writing that I've tried to do and haven't really cracked yet is um, I read an interview with Jason Isbell a couple of years ago where he was talking about like 
the final frontier of songwriting essentially being inhabiting another person's experience and being able to write authentically from their point of view. He co-wrote um, some songs for the High Women, which is the group that his wife Amanda Shires is in with Brandy Carlisle and Randall Ebert and maybe one other person. And they interviewed those women and they were saying that like he very expertly inhabited a consciousness that was completely foreign to him and, and wrote these songs that felt very true to an experience that he had never had. And when I read that, it made me realize that that was a part of songwriting that I haven't explored and that I look forward to one day conquering because um, I've gotten really good at writing about my own experience. And I think that that's its own skill set. But I really I'll know that I've like made it as a songwriter when I can authentically talk about something that I've never experienced and make people feel something about that. I mean, as someone who can't write songs, sounds like a hell of a challenge. <laughs> yeah, it's a big challenge. I've tried so many times and they come out sounding so dumb. And I'm like, I'm going to get, I'm only 24. I got time. I'll get there. <laughs> yeah, because at the end of the day, you're you're learning more and more about yourself every day that, you know, takes a lifetime. Even if you're in a long-term relationship or friendship, you know, you're learning new things about other people just as much as you're learning about yourself. So yeah. expressing that is a whole other mountain, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of, I know you're really vocal about Equal Justice Initiative and different causes. Who or what inspires you to kind of use your platform to do good? I mean, I think the main reason why I want to use my platform for good is just because like, it's interesting because now because of the way social media has democratized and diffused power there's a lot of people with platforms and the number of people like I was I think I was listening to a podcast recently and they were saying like the number of people with a million subscribers on YouTube is like or more is like 22,000 people like that's so many people that have a that have platforms and so in a way it's like does does the platform still retain significance when that people that many people have it and like the answer of course is yes and I see people who both do things with their platform that I find really remarkable. I really love the way like Billie Eilish and Phineas have used their platform to talk about climate change because that's obviously an emergent issue. Um, and I've also seen people that have a huge platform that are like really remarkably silent. And I'm like, man, if I had an audience as big as them and as much money as they have, like I can't even imagine how much stuff I would be doing. So I think it's important as soon as you have even a little bit of power to use it in a way that feels true to you. Um, and at the same time, I think it's really important not to comment on issues that you don't understand. Uh, <laughs> so I try to yep. focus on things that I'm really passionate about and things that I'm like knowledgeable about. Because like when I was in college, I took a black social movements class and I was deeply radicalized by that. And there are issues that are like really close to me and my life experience and things that I've studied and things that I understand deeply. And then there are issues that I know nothing about. And I'm like, I am in no position to comment on that. And I think it's it's finding a balance between commenting on the things that you understand, directing your power and influence toward resources and advocates who can talk about them better than you can, and also just not chiming in on everything. Because I feel like, you know, Stan Twitter is always like, oh my God, how dare you be silent about Israel and Palestine? It's like, don't ask Kendall Jenner about Palestine. Like, that is just not, she doesn't have to talk about that. Like, it would be ideal, you know, if she used her platform to talk about things that she cared about. I think it's great when, people regardless of their job if you have an audience to use that to talk about issues that you care about and to direct resources towards solving problems that you care about but i think it's also completely unhinged that as a society we've decided that like if a random 17 year old tiktoker hasn't commented on ukraine then like she's canceled like what 
that's not her job. Her job is to do outfit videos. <laughs> like, I think that there's there's such a balance to be struck. And also, like, we got to let kids be kids. And I think I'm getting sidetracked because this is something that drives me so nuts. No, <laughs> I, I honestly, I've muted myself because I could, I could talk about this for hours. <laughs> I could go off of soapbox on it. But I do think it's necessary to touch on because we now live in very much a digital age. And when current events happen, suddenly everyone is an expert on everything. (laughs) Um, And the reality is like, they're really incredible, talented people that have studied and this is their craft and their joy and their passion in certain topics. And they may not have, like you said, the money and the resources and the millions of followers to back that, but they likely know more than the 17 year old TikTok. And, you know, perhaps more of the solution is, is getting those people involved in conversations, but I digress. Yeah. There was, there was this one there, I think it was during 2020 when I think it was like Selena Gomez and Sean Mendez did this where they like gave up their accounts for a day to like Mm -hmm. social justice advocates. And I'm like, let's do more of that. Let's just like take the platform and just hand it to someone else for a second so they can talk about it to a pre-built audience. I feel like that Again, that was, that was my last thing I wanted to I also could get, <laughs> I could go on. But yeah, I think like there's a, I think we have put too much on um, the shoulders of like 21 year olds who make outfit videos. It's like, they don't have to comment on all sociopolitical issues. That's really not their job. They're doing just fine. <laughs> but, but also even with what you mentioned earlier, that the second you start to have a little bit of a following or a platform, it's important to, to speak up on things. And I was listening to somebody the other day that was like, it almost feels like everyone now is influencing something. And and I think there's some truth of that, that, you know, you could post something and it could reach somebody in a way that you didn't know. And you'll never know if, you know, they clicked on it. And, and for me in the mental health world, I, I post a lot of content around resources and I have no idea if people click on them, if people are interested in them, but I think, you know, giving light to what's important to you is hopefully the good side of social media. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree that like because of how power has, you know, diffused, there's ways that you can reach even just one person. And that's really powerful. And that's something I talk about with my mom a lot because like I get really overwhelmed by like, I'm not doing enough. I don't know everything about every single issue and I'm not donating enough money and I'm not donating enough of my time. And she was like, if you can just make one person's day better, then like that's great. Because like for 99.99% of human history, we didn't have these tools to reach other people and we didn't have this access to all of human consciousness and all of human suffering so we were never meant to get involved with every single issue that befalls humanity all we were meant to do is help each other in the best ways that we can and so i have learned like oh yeah it's you know if for me it's releasing music that helps someone you know feel like their day is less full of despair i got a dm recently where someone was listening to uh my to make you proud i think and they were saying that it stopped them from relapsing with self-harm and i was like oh my god like that is remarkable that's completely remarkable that my music was able to do that to a person that i don't know um and so if that if i can do that like ultimately that's really all i i need to do yeah that's enough yeah rome wasn't built in a day and problems weren't solved overnight Um, and they weren't solved on twitter (laughs) (laughs) yep the podcast for a different day on that (laughs) So what is one thing you've done this week either to kind of take care of yourself, keep your well-being in check, or something that you did to kind of challenge the voice in your head? 
something that I've been doing to take care of myself is I'm trying to meditate more. Like I try to meditate when I wake up, like right when I wake up in the morning. And I've also, this is very lame and I'm exposing myself, but I play, <laughs> I put um <laughs> overnight um like affirmations from YouTube on while I sleep. <laughs> Oh my God, that's awesome. I'm going to have to try that. <laughs> it's kind of great. It's also a way like, even if I'm not directly meditating before bed, like as I'm getting ready for bed and I'm like putting my phone away and I'm like reading, I'll have these affirmations, usually about like healing and physical health because um, I have a chronic illness and I'm like, maybe this will do something. Um, <laughs> and so I like to have that on in the time that I'm like getting ready for bed and going to sleep. And I try to like wake up in the morning, not immediately pick up my phone and like meditate for like five minutes, like with the calm. I mean, I guess I pick up my phone if I'm using the calm app, but I try not to look at anything troubling yeah that's um, what I was gonna ask you like are you the because I've tried to work on this too like when I wake up first in the morning try not to go on my phone or check my text like just get up and wash my face first or do you go straight to calm I try to avoid picking my phone up right away I try to like stretch out my morning routines like I'll wake up I'll be like I can't look at my phone until I've brushed my teeth made my coffee and drank a glass of water and it's like so that takes you know 15 minutes and so it's like I've at least delayed looking at my phone for like that amount of time and sometimes I'll try to push myself to go longer other mornings like if I have somewhere to be early I might check my phone right away like make sure you know that the thing's still happening but if I have like today like I didn't have anything before this so I was like okay I'm gonna try to go 20 minutes 30 minutes not look at my phone <laughs> so I've been I've been working on that I'm not successful at it all the time um but I at least I have an alarm clock so I don't use my phone as an alarm clock and my phone's on the other side of the room so that at least gives me the walk that from helps, my bed yeah. to my desk <laughs> yeah yeah it's a challenge <laughs> yeah I really really appreciate you coming on thank Thanks you for, for having me, me. more or less with Jess